All right, you hit the record button. Yep. Well, top of the morning to you. Uh, it's the key market drivers uh, deck again for the 15th of February, 2022. As always, we'll start this off with our uh, uh, contact information. There you've got our email addresses. You've got our phone number in the bottom left-hand corner. Uh, and as always, if you have any questions at all that come into your mind, while you're watching this uh, YouTube video or, or listening to our podcast, uh, please, we ask you to reach out and, and ask those uh, questions of us. So what's driving markets this week? Well, uh, once again, we've got a lot of different things going on here. Uh, we got the CPI reading uh, of 7.5%. That's the highest consumer inflation reading in the U.S. since you got to go all the way back to 1982. I believe we have the producer price index uh, was up 9.6%. No, actually, that, that comes out this morning. But that was the it? kind of the pre, or did you just see it already? No, there was a PPI number out in the last couple of days of 9.6%. Maybe that was last month's number. That's the highest ever recorded since the uh, uh, Department of Commerce has been putting that number out. So inflation still raging. I think we talked about some of the context for that on last week's call, but I think this really opens the uh, running lanes for the Fed uh, to be more aggressive. I think we mentioned here that a, a, a couple weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, uh, the market was sure that we were going to get a 25 basis point rate hike at the March meeting. Uh, the odds on bet today would be about a, a 50 basis point rate hike. And I believe there's one of the Fed um, governors, I believe it's the, the St. Louis Fed, that's actually saying that the Fed, his vote would be that the Fed is much more aggressive and that they have a full percentage point rate hike. Now, I don't know that I have any confidence that that will happen, but I think the message here is, is that certainly opens the running lanes for the Fed to be very aggressive in hiking um, interest rates. Uh, we got the February WASD last week, a bit of a yawner, uh, as is often the case with the February uh, WASD, but we will go through that. Got some Changes to the balance sheets that I think are worth uh, noting and worth talking a little bit about, but we'll get to that when we get to the appropriate slides. We've had this Russia-Ukraine deal uh, as a key market driver, and it certainly has been uh, for quite a number of weeks now, but we still don't know a heck of a lot more than I think we knew at the beginning. Will they or won't they uh, invade the Ukraine? Uh, the commodity markets, obviously the wheat market has gotten a little bit tired, Um of staying up here because of this. And um, we got energy prices down about $3 a barrel this morning. Was not able to find anything other than just uh, maybe a little bit of calming of tensions or at least the market's perception of that uh, with this Russia-Ukraine thing. Scott, as it relates to wheat and the wheat markets, um, what do you think this latest news is telling us out of the Black Sea? Well, honestly, it, 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 uh, you mentioned it. You said the wheat market is tired and it certainly is. Um, it, it, uh, we, we have seen on our side of the pond, certainly our markets have been higher on, uh, on occasion here over the last week or so, uh, this day or that day. Um, but honestly, when you look at actual, uh, world prices and where things are being traded right now, Russia's, Russian prices, have been down uh, the, the last five weeks in a row. So Black Sea values today, whether it's Ukraine or Russia, are easily the most competitive in the world, and it continues to be. Uh, that tells me a couple of things. Number one, that, that they're not terribly concerned about a conflict today. 
uh, number one. And number two, it also tells me that the, that at least that part of the world isn't concerned really about running out of wheat. We certainly seem to have plenty. Um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it when we get to the WASDI, but we've got uh, a lot more uh, wheat in the southern hemisphere. Um, Australia continues to do a lot more feed business into China than what they were. So um, I guess it tells me that the, that we're really not terribly concerned uh, about a conflict. If there is a conflict, certainly, I think that that, you know, will probably run prices up. But if you remember, we talked about the Crimean uh, deal back in 2014. It was a pretty short-lived thing. It was a pretty uh, quick market reaction, and then also very quickly it came it back never, down. never did disrupt uh, actual uh, flows. Shipments, shipments right. Or anything. Did you think um, with this uh, th- these military exercises, as they're being called in the Black Sea, there was talk about that blocking shipping lanes. Have we seen any business, wheat business, come to the U.S. because the, the shipping lanes are temporarily blocked? Definitely not. Definitely not. If it's kicking business anywhere, it's kicking it to France or uh, some of the other EU origins. And, you know, honestly, one more quick thing, I guess, about uh, the wheat over there. Everything in uh, the EU and Ukraine and Russia are are giving us uh, uh, indications that that their wheat is in fine shape. Mostly winter wheat over there, remember, and um, it's all in good shape. All the four main uh, EU uh, uh, growing uh, uh, countries, France, Germany, uh, the U.K. and Poland are in good shape. Ukraine and Russia are all in good shape. In fact, Sovicon came out this morning and raised their number for this coming year. Uh, they're all the way up to just under 85 million tons. Ooh. So, Well, Vlad keeps rattling his saber, and he keeps getting higher prices for his wheat and his oil. So maybe that's the primary motivation. I guess we'll see. Also, the, the other thing that we wanted to talk about, this has been on the key driver sheet here for a number of weeks as well, but it continues to dominate the headlines, especially for the soy complex right now, is South American production estimates. Um, I have talked in recent weeks and expressed some skepticism that it could really be that bad down there. Well, according to the pundits, it is that bad and maybe even worse. We've seen uh, in the last week several other estimates lower or uh, analysts lower their estimates to well below that 130 million metric ton mark. Uh, Cordonier is down a whopping 6 million metric tons in his estimate this week. Uh, he was 130 before, down to 124. Um, Conab, uh, which is the Brazilian USDA, lowered their estimate down to 125 and a half. Their prior estimate, now it was uh, almost two months old, was uh, 140. 0.5 million metric tons. So that's another gigantic reduction. And Cordonier now, mm-hmm. then he's the low guy, isn't he? Uh, he's the lowest one that I'm aware of. I think there's another 124.6. I can't remember which one of the analyst community, but uh, we continue to look at lower, uh, probably much lower Brazilian soybean production estimates. So without further ado, let's go ahead and uh, hop into the WASDI here. Uh, slide five, you should be looking at the corn balance sheet, the USDA, as is often the case. In February, they take February off. They photocopy the balance sheet from the prior month. Uh, and if you look here, we've still got a, a 1.54 billion bushel ending stocks. Uh, that is about a 10.4% stocks to use ratio. And actually, as the uh, corn market goes, that's uh, pretty much a Goldilocks forecast. It's not too much corn. It's not too little corn. It's kind of just right. 
And really, I think that the big determining factor there as to whether that gets tighter or looser from here uh, really is going to have a lot to do with this Safrina corn crop and how it progresses in uh, South America. We've got uh, a little over 40 percent of that uh, that Safrina corn crop planted, We've got almost 50 percent of the uh, <clears throat> soybeans harvested nationally in Brazil. So things are progressing pretty well uh, in those markets. Here's your soybean balance sheet, the USDA. As I mentioned last week, I thought might happen. They did reduce their ending stocks. But as I mentioned last week, they didn't reduce them as much as some in the trade thought. I think the average trade guess last week was 310 million bushels or a little bit below. Uh, and the reason that, if you recall, we were suspect of that is this export number. Uh, many in the trade, because of these lower estimates in Brazil, uh, are already taking their export estimates uh, out of the U.S. higher. I certainly understand that logically, but the corner that the USDA's kind of painted in is that so far the pace data is actually running at a level that would make this even difficult. So do we get a big surge of exports because of what's going on in Brazil or not? Um, again, I think it's logical to assume that that's a good possibility, but so far uh, we really haven't seen it. USDA also took their crush number up 25. That's in a pretty aggressive move, in my opinion. Uh, the pace data, I would suppose, certainly warrants it now with two consecutive months of record crush. But that's a big move for a single month. And what that means to us on the oil balance sheet is the more beans you crush, the more oil you get. Uh, those on the oil side, remember the soybean oil buyers nirvana, and that is plenty of beans and plenty of meal demand to drive crush, and we certainly seem to be having both of those right now. That adds almost 300 million pounds to the production line here. Uh, the USDA took it upon themselves to raise their food use number. Uh, certainly warranted, uh, I think, that many people, myself included, uh, were looking at this number here, and especially with the short canola crop, expecting maybe a little bit more food use. Uh, they did that. They left the biofuel number as is, and the rest goes straight to the bottom line here. So USDA is project projecting a very comfortable uh, almost 2.1 billion pounds of oil at the end of the crop year, uh, which would be at the end of September for, for oil. Scott, what did the USDA tell us uh, uh, on wheat to uh, U.S. and the world? Well, the big thing here, this is our U.S. Uh, domestic balance sheet. Um, and we moved a little, uh, a couple of things around there on the demand side for food and seed. But the big thing that I've been telling you about is on the export line. They lowered 15. They went from 825 down to 810. Um, and that certainly is, is much more comfortable figure. Uh, remember that we only have another, uh, three months to get to the finish line. We have March, April, and then May. Our, Marketing year for wheat ends at the end of May. And that 810, um, some might argue is still too high, uh, but at least at 810, that gives us a, a better opportunity to, to hit that number. Today, if you, um, uh, look at what is needed each week to get to that 810, we now only need to do a little over 5 million bushels each week to get to that number, which is a much, uh, uh, that is not as steep a hill as what we were looking at prior. So um, we could get there, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if we go uh, actually a little bit lower than that. 810, I believe, is uh, is actually a little bit lower than what Bill 
is using at AES. I think he's currently at 820. Bottom line is that when you have that much less exports, we get a little more ending stocks. Things feel a little bit better. We're up 20 on ending stocks, and, and now we're back to 33. That's an adequate number from a total wheat standpoint. It's not uh, – again, Dave uses the term Goldilocks. I wouldn't quite put it in the Goldilocks category yet, but it certainly feels better than when we started the year uh, down below – uh, 600. 700 is closer to Goldilocks. Yeah. Country, yeah. I would suspect. Uh, when you look at the next page, uh, it just shows you at the top our buy class. Um, we got more hard red winter wheat, uh, just a little bit more spring wheat, only 1 million bushels. Uh, white wheat and then a little bit more durum. We left soft red unchanged. On the world crop, it was interesting that the world production dropped a little over 2 million tons, but we didn't change anything on the major exporters. Um, and remember the major exporters, uh, we've talked about that, is, is Russia, Ukraine, U.S., um, uh, the EU all together as one, Australia and Argentina. So we didn't change any of those. It was surprising to us that they did not change that uh, the Argentine number. Remember, I, I had told you a couple weeks back, the uh, U.S. Ag Attaché is a million and a half higher than the USDA. Um, and the other thing is that uh, all the private analysts in Australia have at least two million more tons higher on their Australian uh, estimate uh, than what USDA has. So there, there could be some more there uh, to come. We'll, we'll wait and see. Bottom line is ending stocks went down just a little bit, but we're still at 35% uh, stocks-to-use ratio. Um, I, I still believe, I've said it many, many times, we're not going to run out of wheat anytime soon. Um, again, the price action that we're seeing out of the Black Sea tells us that also. Where did they take that production down? Where's that? What what countries? Uh, importing countries, um, North Africa countries, um, their, their production uh, is, is not looking good. Okay. All right. We also got uh, last week, I think the day after we got our WASI, uh, on the, uh, which was the 9th of February. On the 10th, we got our Malaysian Palm Oil Board January report. Uh, I call it the bullish report that wasn't bullish. Um, Seemed odd to me when I first saw the numbers, because remember I told you the average trade estimates, uh, both the Bloomberg and Reuters average trade estimate were about for 1.55 million metric tons of ending stocks, which was about the same as the end of December. Well, lo and behold, we get a 1.55 million metric ton ending stocks, but we're told that that's down 4%. Start looking a little bit deeper into the report. Uh, it's because the Malaysian Palm Oil Board actually revised higher their end of December stocks, which would now be our beginning stock. So the reality of the situation is technically it was down 4%, but that's the same number basically that we had prior for our December ending stocks. So really nothing here that stuck out. Matter of fact, on report day, they tried to spin this into a bullish report, but prices were actually down a little bit. That said, palm oil prices remain strong. I probably should have mentioned this. The primary reason palm oil prices remain strong, I think they were up another 40 or $45 a ton to a fresh new all-time high this week, really had nothing to do with this report. Um, the, Indian, uh, the Indonesian government, I believe I mentioned last week, um, had, had uh, basically voted on and decided to 
require each and every plantation and production facility to keep 20% of their production domestic. Well, domestic production is consumes about 20% of total production in Indonesia, so that shouldn't be much of a lift. The problem that seems to be occurring in Indonesia is that apparently this is being administered at each and every facility. The problem with that is some of the facilities are in-country, and 100% of their production normally goes domestic. Other facilities are uh, geographically located to serve the export market, and the problem is, is now the in-country facilities are trying to figure out how to get some of their production uh, into the export market. And some of the export facilities are trying to figure out how in the world they get 20 percent of their production uh, inside the country and serve the domestic. So what that has happened, it, what that has caused to happen here is all this oil is now displaced, trying to move places it doesn't normally move. That has the belief is, is that that is going to kick the export line here in Malaysia uh, up a bit. You can see exports were actually down in January, 19%. Uh, I think many believe that we will see a strong rebound in Malaysia out of exports because of the goings on inside Indonesia to try to control food inflation. So we will see how that unwinds or if the uh, Indonesian government um, relents a little bit here and as a uh, comes up with a, a law that is a little bit more easy to administer. Um, probably ought to mention this briefly. Fertilizer prices continue to climb. Uh, we've talked about this and how this may or may not affect um, uh, planting situation. Farmers remember in February the insurance guarantees for the U.S. Farm Program are set based on the average prices of December corn and November soybean futures during the month of February. We're now a little bit more than halfway through the month. Uh, and these are, I believe, record prices that the farmers would get, uh, at least from the insurance guarantees, the revenue guarantees on the insurance. The question before the House that we've talked about that still remains here with anhydrous fertilizer, nitrogen fertilizer, continuing to skyrocket, now approaching and slightly over $1,500 a ton. Um, will that affect planting? Well, with the big surge in bean prices because of what's going on in South America, um, a month ago I told you that the corn market had advanced enough relative to soybeans to make, if you could get enough fertilizer, you were still better off planting corn. Um, now all of a sudden with soybean prices running wild here because of what's going on in Brazil and these continued high fertilizer prices, I think that's in question, and there's a lot of the analyst community that's really trying to figure out what's going to happen here, um, whether we're going to plant more corn acres relative to beans. Remember I told you in the past that's what Informa's been predicting. Uh, that's what ADM CEO was predicting. Well, things have changed once again, as they seem to do frequently in this marketplace. So uh, stay tuned. I think that March 31st planning intentions report uh, is going to be a big report. I've also talked in past calls the better part of the last month or six weeks about how really the energy markets are also underpinning what's going on in the vegetable markets. And you can see here, uh, the red line here is soybean oil futures markets. You can see that there are periods of time here where those markets correlate very highly. There are other periods like, like we had kind of late last or during last summer and into the fall where the correlation between energy prices and vegetable prices are less. 
But remember, this is back when they didn't correlate very well. This black line is crude oil prices, WTI. And when crude oil is cheap, we don't correlate nearly as highly. But now look at uh, where we're at as energy prices have rallied again. Uh, we've got the sweeping oil market, sweeping oil futures, and I would argue palm oil as well. Uh, pretty much staying close to that line. This is a probably a 90-plus percent correlation. So I would still argue that what's going on in the crude market, the energy market, is still probably the biggest driver of what we are seeing here uh, as it relates to vegetable prices. The spec is still at play. Now, the spec sold off some of their corn positions. Uh, look at out here in the soy complex. We've pointed this out here in recent weeks. Uh, the spec continues to hold in excess of 15% of open interest. And really, all three legs of the soy complex, those are big positions that we'll have to continue uh, to monitor here. Let's look at South American weather uh, as we get out into it. Uh, continue to have good rain flows, rainy season flows. This orange here that you see are heavier rains. That's going to slow harvest up a little bit. Uh, but we are so far out in front and getting their soybeans harvested. More bad news. I would argue that southern Brazil dryness at this point doesn't make any difference. The party's over down there. We're just cleaning up the mess. Um, this is a second dry week now forecast in Argentina. That's not good. Really need to get some more rain in the forecast. We will see where this goes next week. Uh, but we have seen a couple in the analyst community, Cordonier among them. I think he took his Argentine estimate down another million metric tons. So, Again, the rain that we get here at the tail end of February uh, and as we move out into March is going to be the big telltale uh, for how big or how small that Argentine crop really is. So, And that is our story this week, and we are sticking to it. Once again, if you have any questions at all uh, as it relates to this part of the presentation, by all means, let us know. Uh, and at this point, we'll kick it over to Scott and get a little bit of an update here. Uh, on the dairy markets this week. Actually, you know what? You, you went right past the uh, – there. yeah, let's take a quick look at that uh, wheat export slide. As I mentioned earlier, you can see what that red line has done since uh, since now we've got Uncle Sam all the way down there at 810 on the uh, uh, total uh, forecast for exports. And, and so now we're all the way down to just a little over 5 million bushels each week. And you can see there – um, we don't have that many, you know, three months to go, basically. We had this marketing high here three weeks ago. Do you think that was just maybe some cargo shifted here because of uh, what's going on in the Black Sea? Yeah, and then we also had some other things. Uh, a lot, it just kind of lined up that way with some of our normal trading partners, uh, 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 Japan and Mexico, and, and we had a couple that all kind of hit at the same okay. at the same week. Probably also got a little bit of some because people were fearful of what's going on in the Black Sea. Right. All that. Right. So on to dairy. Um, again, not a lot of news here uh, in dairy. Things, um, I would say, with both cheese and butter, um, the things I continue to, to read about each and every week is labor. Um, in, in fact, uh, they, they tell us that labor being a pretty big issue on the butter side of things, just at the time when we should be kind of ramping things up a little bit. And uh, it, it tells us that it would actually be even stronger production right now if, if they weren't fighting these labor issues. Um, so 
that could be one of the reasons we had a you see there last Thursday to Friday we had a big jump in in spot butter pricing. We were kind of back in the uh, 250 uh range and we jumped all the way back up to the 275, 278 and a half as of yesterday. But if you look at our international prices, we're still trailing the play for both Dutch and German prices over three dollars. Um, you can see our December exports for butter were uh, 8 million pounds, pretty good number, uh, 20% year over year, but uh, we're still a net importer. We had our December imports at 11 million pounds, uh, which was nearly double what they were a year ago. Um, on the cheese side of things, I think we're going to uh, find here that we're going to slow down the, the, with the Super Bowl behind us. Uh, football season is kind of over for now. I think that uh, both retail and food service take a little bit of a, a breather uh, before we get going into uh, um, uh, the, the spring flush. Let's hope we actually have a spring flush this year. Yeah, we certainly need one. Well, that's our story, and we're sticking to it this week. Again, if you have any questions at all, uh, there is our contact information yet again. Uh, and as always, and as I've mentioned before, especially in these crazy markets that we're in right now, be careful out there.